Well, last week I began a six-week sermon series on Romans 12, which is taken right from the text in Romans 12, uh, Let Love Be Genuine. And it's an opportunity to really explore what does it mean to obey the great commandment that Jesus gives us to love God with our whole being and to love our neighbor as, as ourself. It's a chapter that really explores that, that primary call of, of Christian faith. And it is on this way that I talked about at the beginning of the service that this relationship with Jesus is lived. And it's in the process of living that relationship while we are walking on this way that we are people who are growing in love. And in, in many ways, this journey is a journey of transformation. It's a journey deep into the heart of God. It's also a journey deep into an awareness of ourselves as who God intends for us to be, the discovery of a true self, if you will. And Paul's word in Romans 12, I think, is a depiction of this love to which Jesus calls us. It's a depiction because this is a description of of what the love looks like, what we act like when we are receiving and, and bearing and sharing this love. And it's a genuine love, and by that Paul means integrated love, a love that unites body and soul, a love that unites affection and action, and love that unites word and deed. And last week, we looked at the first verse of this chapter and talked about showing up, in some ways going all in, becoming a, a living sacrifice, presenting all of who we are by the mercies of God, presenting all of who we are to God. And this week, we want to look at the way in which love is also about saying no. That if showing up is about saying yes, love is also about saying no. It's the, the flip side of the coin. It's the other side of saying yes to God's mercy is to say no to what is not God's mercy. And so we want to look, I want to read verse 1 again this week. Aren't you glad that I'm not taking one week per verse? Uh, but, um, but I am taking these first three weeks to do just one verse, and I'll probably read more than one verse. But today I want to read verse 1 again and as well as verse 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see you clearly and to see our world clearly, to understand to the extent that we can, to grow in our understanding of the height and the, the breadth and the width and the depth of, of your love, and to so walk through our world in an awareness of that love and knowing clearly what is not that love, that we might move away from it. So by your spirit, give us 
that wisdom and insight and discernment to pursue what is good. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Marianne and I have a friend. His name is Ken Schmidt. Ken actually has worshipped here in the sanctuary. Ken died about a year and a half ago. He was someone who was very important in our lives, probably about 15 years older than us. He and his wife were kind of mentors to us in the place where we met in the first church where I served in, in Ventura, California. But Ken was a marriage and family, a, a physics teacher, high school physics teacher turned marriage and family counselor, his second career. And he was also probably the, one of the, the main teachers at Community Presbyterian Church in Ventura, adult ed classes. He, his classes were always packed out. And I remember sitting through one of his classes that was billed as something on marriage, but really was more a class about covenant relationships. And marriage is certainly one of those covenant relationships that we experience as human beings and unique in and of itself. But what he said in that class really applied to all relationships. And at one point I remember him making the comment, and you know, remember this is a class on marriage with couples there, and I, I think the topic might have even been sex that particular day, so the room was probably packed out. Um, <laughs> I don't remember that, but he said that this particular comment in light of, of that context, and he essentially said the key to building intimacy in any relationship, he says, any guesses about the, the one word that does more to build intimacy and relationship than any other word? And there was this pause, and he said, it's the word no. And everyone was scratching their head, <laughs> especially the men in the room. Uh, and, and essentially he went on to say something else. He said, no is what gives power to the meaning of yes. Because when you say no, you draw a boundary and unintentionally communicate a very important message to the one with whom you're in relationship, which is that when you say yes, it will mean yes. And you will have one who has shown up and is fully present and there. But no means no, not now because I want to show up. It's drawing of a negative boundary in some ways that we could misinterpret to some extent to say that no, that has nothing to do with intimacy because it boundaries us, it cordons us off from another. But drawing that negative boundary or the line that you cannot and will not cross in honesty is essentially an assurance to the one with whom you're in relationship that you will tell the truth. And that, frankly, telling the truth is a very intimate thing. Love isn't just about availability and unreserved availability to the one with whom you're in relationship. It's also about honesty. It's about being clear about where we are and what we believe and what we feel 
and what lines we draw. The honest no is what gives power to the wholehearted yes. It tells the other, because I can say no, you can know that you're getting the real me. You can know that you're getting my true self when I say yes. And I believe this is of an order of things or a class of things that Paul is getting at in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2. This interplay between no and yes. It's the flip side of the yes, of saying yes to God, of, of showing up, of going all in, of throwing yourselves on and trusting fully in what Paul talks about there, which is the mercy of God. And the flip side of that all in yes is saying no to the things that are not about or informed by the mercy of God and choosing not to pursue those things. In essence, what Paul is saying is that when he appeals to us by the mercies of God, is he saying mercy, if you've received it, mercy is that seed of transformation that's been planted in you. So... Don't simply conform yourself to a set of earthly precepts or rules or norms. Do not, as J.B. Phillips translates this passage in his paraphrase of the, the New Testament, do not let the world or do not let this age press you into its mold, but instead be transformed. Take the path that transforms you, not just the path that puts a lot of things on your back to carry with you. You know, I think we all have to honestly look at the lives that we live, and it's not hard to conclude that life in this age, in these bodies, in this world, and that's what Paul is talking about. He's not just talking about this, the earth, the world in which we live. He's talking about the, the whole cultural milieu, the whole cosmic reality in which we live. That life in this age is largely about accommodating and conforming and adapting. That's a lot of what social order is really all about. That our success in this world, in this present age, is about adopting a code and applying its precepts to our lives. But Paul is saying in this passage that there's something bigger than that for us who are following Jesus, that the abundant life is not found in learning how to accommodate. It's found in the wake of a heartfelt, full-throated yes to God's transforming mercy, God's transforming love. And it's a heartfelt and full-throated no to the things that direct our attention away from that love. In another place in Romans, Paul says that the essence of sin is a particular lie. And that lie is that happens when we exchange the glory of God and relationship with God with the things that, that are not God. And when we begin to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. 
when we orient our lives around these secondary things that are most true in our world, rather than seeing that world toward which we are moving, then we begin to lie to ourselves. And we begin to call what is totally of us divine, and we forget about what God has called us to. We exchange the truth about God for the lie, and we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, is what Paul says. And as he speaks of this, he reminds me of, of what is true in our baptism. That our baptism in Christ is as much about a renunciation as it is about an acceptance. In fact, some historians report that in the baptisms of the early church, there was a, I mean, this would not happen today, obviously. I mean, people stripped naked, <laughs> went down in the water, and before they went down in the water, they would renounce the sins of this world, and they would spit over their shoulder. Like, forget it. Uh, it's gone. I'm going to move forward. There's a renunciation as well as an acceptance that takes place in baptism. There's a no that gives power to our yes. And another word for this two-part choice is a word that we hear a lot and sometimes attach all sorts of meaning to that are really not there because it's actually a very simple word, and that's the word repentance. We hear it being spit at us by some fiery street preacher. But it's really a much more gentle thing than that. The word repentance is about turning around, basically. In Hebrew, the word shuv just means turn around. Stop facing in that direction and start facing in this direction. In Greek, the word metanoia means change your mind. <laughs> Turn away from this kind of thinking and turn toward this kind of thinking. It's the choice of turning away from something in order to turn toward something else. And transformation that Paul is talking about, the renewal of our minds, is the work that God does in us in the wake of that choice. In the wake of that decision that we make to say no, and to say yes. And we keep making that decision to say no and to say yes. It's not once for all. It's a daily, as Paul says, a daily choice to go all in. To present our bodies, all of who we are, body and soul, as a living sacrifice to God. You know, it is so easy and church history testifies to this. It is so easy to turn the faith into a catalog of behaviors or a list of maxims or rules or prohibitions. And in some ways, that's not entirely a bad thing. There are some merits to that. However, it's a very superficial kind of merit that it brings. It's the same kind of merit that the commitments that we make as a citizen to the social and civil order need to be made in order to keep peace within that social and civil order. 
It's kind of like the virtues we abide by in order to ensure and, and teach others good citizenship. But what Paul is pointing to here is so much more than conferring a set of healthy standards on us. He's talking about the power of God to literally transform us. And that's what the way of Jesus is all about. He's talking about indefatigable, steadfast mercy and love that grows us in love and teaches us how to love and invites others to that same love. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Lord, provide that light for our steps, that illumination of the path to which you call us. Draw us toward, ever toward, and ever closer to your infinite mercy. And so empower us to walk away from that which can never fuel the journey. Help us to say yes and no. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.